Thank you for joining us today for our Thursday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we are continuing our study in Genesis, so let's listen in now to Pastor Dave. Soon your trials will be over. Verse 8, then Israel saw Joseph's sons. So up until this point, he couldn't really see them. And he said, who are these? Which again shows in his weakened state, his eyesight isn't there. He's very nearsighted. He, he sees some movement or something. And, and, and he kind of asks the question, who are these? Okay. Um, and Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. So no doubt, close enough for him to kind of make out somebody's behind Joseph, okay? Which tells me that those two were in earshot of everything that has been said. And it makes you wonder what they're thinking. Manasseh's probably thinking, why is Ephraim always mentioned first? Ephraim's going, cool, I'm always being mentioned first. You know, I mean... I mean, what are they thinking? I don't know what they're thinking, you know. And he says, these are my sons whom God has given me in this place. He said, please bring them to me. I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. Okay, so again, that speaks of in his weakened state, he couldn't see very well. He was very nearsighted. He couldn't see very far away at all, you know. Um, I'm... I am very nearsighted, okay? When I take off my glasses, I cannot make out any of you, all right? You all are a big blur, okay? And if I didn't know that Christian was right here on the left, he's just a bigger blur, okay? <laughs> so, but I'm very nearsighted. And so it's kind of like if I don't have my glasses on and if somebody is standing a good 15 feet away from me, you're a blur. There's no way in the world I would know who you are, you know? And so uh, that's exactly what's going on with Israel here. Hopefully that's not God telling me I'm about to die. I, I, you know, (laughs) wow, I didn't think of that until now. But anyway, um, and Dave's eyes were very dim. It's like, yeah, all right. Verse 11, it says, And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact God has also shown me your offspring. I love this because as he's about to go and bless the kids and and everything else, um, he first thinks back of how blessed he is right there at that moment. He's thinking back to going, I never thought I'd see you again. I was told you were dead. And not only do I get to see you again, but I get to spend another 17 years with you. And on top of that, I get to have a relationship with your kids. I get to see my grandkids. He says, I'm blessed. He says, I am blessed. And so Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth. I love that. Joseph, remember, he's the prime minister of Egypt. And yet, even in his high rank, he bows down and gives honor to his father. Verse 13, and Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand uh, towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near to him. This could be a little confusing, okay? But if you could just watch me. So, um, so Jacob would be facing him. As he faces him, his right hand is on, on uh, Joseph's left side, right? Because he's faced this way, okay? But he's walking to him this way. 
So he's going to have Manasseh under his left hand as he's approaching him, because as he does that, that approaches uh, Jacob's right hand. And so he's going to have Ephraim under his right hand as he's pushing him forward to Jacob, which would then be Jacob's left hand. So that's what's going on here, because he wants him to bless with the right hand his oldest, Manasseh. Okay, I was getting that totally convoluted last night, so... Thank you, Lord, your spirit was able to put that in place, okay? The right hand in the Bible has the idea, uh, has always had the idea of uh, favored position of blessing, okay? It speaks of, your right hand speaks of strength and power and skill and favor and all those kind of things. In uh, Exodus 15, verse 6, it says, the right hand, basically associated with God's strength, says, your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. The right hand is associated with God's favor in Psalm 1611. You have shown me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God's right hand is associated with his help. Psalm 20, verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven and with his saving strength of his right hand. Jesus is described as being at the right hand of the Father. Jesus himself even said in Mark 14, 62, I am, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. And so the right hand, it does, it speaks of strength and power and favor and blessing and all those things. And so when you uh, bless the firstborn, it's always with the right hand, okay? Verse 14, then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossed over, guiding his hands knowingly. He knew what he was doing. From the very beginning, he was calling them Ephraim and Manasseh, for Manasseh was the firstborn. So Jacob crossed his hands so that his right hand was on Ephraim the younger and his left hand was on Manasseh the older. And again, this was not a mistake. He did this knowingly. He knew exactly what he was doing, deliberately choosing the second born to receive a greater blessing than the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph. By blessing Ephraim and Manasseh, he is also blessing Joseph. Okay? And so this shows the blessing of the sons are also a blessing upon the father who's Joseph. Now we have the content of the blessing which focuses on the covenant of God. So Jacob continues, says, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day. I love this because literally in the Hebrew this reads, God who has shepherded me all my life long to this day. It's the first mention in the Bible of God as a shepherd to his people, taking care of and feeding and things like that. And so Jacob here is recognizing in spite of all the difficulties in his life, all the adversaries, all the adversities, God has been there taking care of him every step of the way. His life was under God control. Jacob's testimony is a testimony of grace, not personal merit. He was not saying how faithful he was to God, but how faithful God was to him. And now Jacob focuses on the one person of the Godhead, the second person of the Trinity. 
the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, who is none other than the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. God the Son. The word redeemed here in the Hebrew is gawel, and it means to redeem, to buy back. It's the first time the word redeem is used in the Bible. The angel has redeemed Jacob. Well, the only one that can redeem is God. So it shows that this angel is God. And as we've gone over the angel of the Lord before, previously, okay, we know anytime the definite article is there, the angel, it's just another title of the second person of the Trinity. The word angel is malak. It just means messenger. Who's the greatest messenger of all? Jesus, second son. So he can have that title. We're going to go over that also very soon because we do meet it again with Moses in front of the burning bush. And that burning bush, the angel there in the burning bush that manifests itself as, as a burning bush, that's the angel of the Lord. That also is the person, uh, the second person of the triunity of God, which is Jesus. And so we'll probably go over it then as well. Um, Jacob gives credit to the angel of the Lord, the one that he wrestled in Genesis 32. So again, you can go back to that and, and go over that teaching. We went over it there as well. And it says, and he blessed the lads. Now understand these are not lads in the way of like six or seven years of age or anything like that. Um, we know that both Manasseh and Ephraim were born in the very first seven years uh, when, there, when there was a time of plenty in Egypt, Okay. And so uh, they're probably three and five during those years. You know, they were born probably maybe the first year of prosperity, second year of prosperity. Then two years later, the other one comes along. So by the time this, that first year of famine is in place, they're probably three and five years old. By the time that um, Jacob sees them for the first time, they're about a couple years older than that. So they're probably about five and seven. Okay. Then you have the, seven, the rest of the years, five years after that. All right, and then you have um, this, well, I should say, right after Menium, there's another 17 years where they're there in, uh, in Goshen. So they're probably somewhere between the ages of 22 and 25 at this point. They're men, they're young men. And he says, let, me, let my name be named upon them. It means they're now part of the house of Israel. And the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, means that they have come through this covenant line. They are now part of the Jewish line that goes through Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob. And let them grow and multiply in the midst of the earth. And so this blessing, which first began through Abraham, that promise of many descendants be accomplished through these boys. And next we have Joseph's reaction to the crisscrossing that Jacob has done. And in verse 17, it says, Now when Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. So uh, uh, Joseph probably assumes that it's because of Jacob's poor eyesight that he's doing what he is doing. Okay, but his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know, emphasizing again, he knows what he's doing. He shall also become a people and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. We see this fulfilled in Israel's history. 
Both tribes are blessed, but Ephraim was the greater as a tribe, even to the point where the name Ephraim was synonymous with the northern kingdom, Israel. Um, in Isaiah eleven thirteen, it says, Also the envy of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. The southern kingdom was always known as Judah. Uh, the northern kingdom was always known either as Israel or Ephraim. Okay? And Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. Um, verse 20 says, So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel because he's doing this by faith, so he's called Israel, uh, will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. In Jeremiah 31, 9, this is also explained a little further. It says, And they shall come with weeping and with supplication. I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of the waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am the father to Israel and Ephraim my firstborn. So again, Scripture interprets Scripture. Ephraim now becomes the firstborn of Israel and takes the place of Reuben. And so firstborn in the Bible is often a position of preeminence, not necessarily meaning first out of the womb. Um, Isaac was the firstborn even though he had an older half-brother, Ishmael. Um, uh, We see when it comes to King David, we see in Psalm 89, verse 27, I also will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Yet we know from 1 Samuel 16, verse 11, that David was the youngest of eight. And yet God calls him his firstborn. It's here in the book of Genesis, we see for the fifth time here, a reversal of birth order. We see Abel, not Cain. We see Isaac, not Ishmael. We see Jacob, not Esau. We see Joseph, not Reuben. We see Ephraim, not Manasseh. It seems that God cares more about rebirth than natural birth. Interesting that Jacob crossing over his hands onto Ephraim and Manasseh also gives you the sign of the cross. I find this fascinating. The birth order speaks, if you ask me, of Jesus and also those who are going to follow him. Notice that the birth order, you are born into sin. That's your birth order. But then you have to be what? Born again. And that's when you're received by God, after being born again. Because it is the second birth that God receives, not the first. Jesus has the preeminent position of being firstborn himself. Paul, speaking of Jesus, said, And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That speaks in the way of imminence. It doesn't mean that he is a created being by any stretch of the imagination. It speaks about preeminence, that he has all the honor and glory and blessings before all. All of creation is what that means there. He has the rights of the firstborn. Later on, we will see Manasseh actually being absorbed by Ephraim and marching under the banner of Ephraim in the book of Numbers. Uh, in Genesis forty-eight twenty-one, it goes on and says, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Behold, I'm dying. This is truly the passing of the torch to Joseph, 
Israel was the last of the three great patriarchs to pass from the scene. Uh, Spurgeon said this, If Abraham dies, there is Isaac. If Isaac dies, there is Jacob. And if Jacob dies, there is Joseph. And if Joseph dies, there is Ephraim and Manasseh. The Lord shall never lack a champion to bear his standard high among the sons of men. Only let us pray God to raise up more faithful ministers day and night. We have plenty of a sort, but oh, for more that will be weighed out 16 ounces to the pound of gospel in such a way that people receive it. We have too much of fine language, too much of florid eloquence, and little full and plain gospel preaching. But God will keep up the apostolic succession. Never fear of that. When Stephen is dying, Paul is not far off. When Elijah is taken up, he leaves his mantle behind. I praise God for that. And that's true. You know, when we see a great minister of God go and be with the Lord, we're kind of going, oh, Lord, why? You know, who? Well, there's others. There's others. But I hate to say this, they really are few and far between. And it does sometimes require people to seek out, you know. I can't tell you how often I, I, I'm ministering to someone, there's no good churches in our area, you know. I'd be talking to somebody in a different state or whatever, and it's kind of, that's not true. There is a good one, you just have to keep seeking it out. There is a godly man somewhere that is actually teaching the word of God the way, and don't give up. Continue to press forward. Continue to pray. God will lead you there. God will lead you there. And if more people left bad churches, we'd have less bad churches. We'd have less bad churches. You do not get to go before God and say, hey, this guy fooled me. I didn't know he was an apostate teacher. I didn't know. You have the Bible. Read it. Does he measure up to what the Bible says? If not, then you're out of there. You know, find that place it's nearby it is nearby but you have to seek it out you have to seek it out he goes on and says in verse 22 moreover i've given to you one portion above your brothers which i took from the hand of the amorite with my sword and my bow we don't really know what this is talking about okay but we don't know everything that has happened in jacob's life but obviously there was a time that uh, there was some sort of skirmish or something and jacob battled for control of this portion of land Okay, and he got it from a, uh, an Am, uh, Amorite. And so he has given that over to Joseph as well. God will be with you, bring you back to the land of your fathers. This completes this wonderful work regarding Jacob's recognition of God's presence in his life. And I love this because this shows me a few things about Jacob in his growing in the Lord. Okay, we see in, um, in Genesis 28, 15, that God gives Jacob assurance of his presence. I will never leave you. I'm going to be with you. And we read in Genesis 28, 15, he says, Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go and bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. I believe that that is a promise to us as well. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And he will bring you back. Where? To where he is. In his father's house. In his father's house. Behold, I go and prepare a place for you. You know. And where I go, you will go. You know. And I will come and receive you and bring you back there, he tells us. 
And that's heaven. That's the end of our journey. That's our land that we're looking forward to. And he's going to bring us there as well. God expects the believer to grow and to trust in him. He also tells them, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I'll be with you. I've just told you something to do. I believe, as a believer, you're to trust him of what God has told you to do. And you need to walk out in that. What has God told you to do? Do that. And continue to do that. Grow in your faith. God expects us to see him working in us and through us, even though circumstances might not be favorable around us. We read in Genesis 31, 5, And he said to them, I see your father's countenance, speaking to Leah and, and Rachel, that is not favorable towards me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. Even though my circumstances kind of stink, even though your father is treating me miserably, I can see God is working through me. God is working through me. And then in Genesis 48, 21, God will be with you. He's telling them, God, give the mature believer the opportunity to encourage other people. Other people. As you grow in faith, you will always have the opportunity to pour into someone who hasn't been walking as long as you. And the longer you've been walking with the Lord, the more you have God's stories. The more you're able to look back like Jacob and be able to say, God has been so faithful to me. Yes, there's been difficulty. Yes, there's been trials. Yes. This is why the older are supposed to teach the younger. But, I may, but this means the older person in Christ in the way of walking with Christ, not necessarily chronologically. Because if you're 80 and you just came to know the Lord, you don't know squat about God's goodness and things like that over 80 years. <laughs> you just know God's goodness right now, and that's awesome, okay? But somebody who's walked with the Lord, I've walked with the Lord for 34 years now, walked with the Lord. I've seen a lot in those 34 years. And what's really difficult for a lot of us that have walked as long as we have walked is when we come up to a young believer or a young adult, and, and as you're trying to minister to them, they say these words, you don't understand what I'm going through. Really? How old are you? I'm 61. I got 34 years under my belt of walking with the Lord. Some of you have longer. That's great. I want to hear about how awesome God is, and I'm all ears to people that have been walking with the Lord longer and things like that. I want to hear about all the things God has done. You go, man, that's powerful. I'm, I'm receiving that. That's great. That's gold, you know. But when young people, as you're trying to measure, you don't understand. Really? Really? I do understand. I'm here to tell you that God has given you the strength through his Holy Spirit to endure this. So you will grow in the person of Jesus Christ. You haven't had a chance to grow yet. You're 19. You don't know squat. And that's okay. We're here to walk with you. And the longer you walk, you'll be 21. And there'll be another 19-year-old that shows up and says, You don't understand. And you can say, Yes, I do. Because I said those very same dumb words two years ago. And this is what God has done with me. We're here to encourage 
other people. And that's what we do. And that's what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Well, that concludes today's edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our study in Genesis. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. And on Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our young adults ministry, Arise, meets every Friday evening at 6.30 p.m. at the church. Child care is offered for all our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God.